Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. So the uh, title of the talk is Struggling is Extra. As I said just before we took the break, I'm um, about to uh, start teaching the month-long retreat at Spirit Rock, which I am fortunate enough to do each year this time, the February, the month of February, um, basically. I've been doing it for 20 plus years. Um, and uh, it's really special. I don't know how that happened where I get to uh, support and guide guide people in their practice uh, for those weeks and, and month. Um, but it, it's, it's quite an extraordinary um, experience to see people's process over time. <clears throat> and um, going through a retreat like that, uh, certainly you go to places that aren't normally available uh, in a daily life, but it's like a microcosm for daily life. So the, the ways that you... The habits of mind that we're usually confused or lost in uh, as we go through our days, whenever you get lost, if you ever happen to get lost, um, you just see more clearly on that kind of intensive retreat. And I know a number of people here have done retreats of some length. How many people have done a retreat of, oh, say, th- three or, or more days here? Okay, wow. Lots. How about uh, a week or more? Wow, cool. How about uh, two weeks or more? Pretty good. And a month? Anyone who's done a month? Mm. So, oh, yeah. And um, it just gets more and more interesting. But the principles are still the same. Just like the Buddha taught, this is how the mind gets caught. This is how the mind can be freed. This is how the heart contracts. This is how the heart can open and love and connect in a very beautiful way with life around you. And I um, mentioned uh, recently, I I sat for two weeks in December. I did a two-week self-retreat. And this topic uh, kept on coming up uh, during that self-retreat as I was thinking about the retreat process and how 
important it is to understand the issue of wise effort. Wise effort is one of the links in the Eightfold Path, the, the three links that have to do with the mind or heart training, wise effort, wise mindfulness, wise concentration. And um, what I kept on uh, coming up with and I started writing a few things was really what I want you to know about practice, particularly uh, pertaining to wise effort, which applies both to intensive practice and as well to our daily life. Wise effort um, sometimes is talked of as a balance of effort. And there's a famous story of, uh, in the time of the Buddha of one monk, I've mentioned it here uh, from time to time, one monk who had, um, um, was very diligent and very um, dedicated and serious about his practice, um, but he was really getting all wound up trying to do it right and was just getting tighter and tighter and tighter. And the Buddha um, saw what was happening and, and this guy said, you know, something's just not working. I, I, I'm, I'm trying my hardest and I am just, you know, my mind is everywhere. And the Buddha uh, said to him, uh, he remembered, he said, weren't you a musician before you uh, left the lay life and, um, and took on robes? And the guy said, yes, yeah, that's right. As the discourse is, uh, he says, I, I used to uh, play the lute. <clears throat> Don't see many lute players around. What would be an electric lute? Uh, there was an electric lute, yeah. Anyway, this fellow was a lute player. And he, um, and the Buddha said, well, what happens when you were, when you were playing and the uh, the strings were were too tight, and uh, the guy said, "Oh, you 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 didn't get the right note. It was way too uh, way too high." And the Buddha said, "Well, what happened when the the strings are uh, very loose, or too loose?" He said, "Well, again, you didn't get the right note. Uh, it was it was too low." And the Buddha said, "Well, it's just like practice. If you're too tight." you will not be able to see clearly and really um, free the mind and the heart. If you're too loose, too laid back, and don't give sincere effort, um, then um, you won't be mindful. But if you have just the right amount of energy, not too tight, not too loose, um, then the practice really unfolds. <clears throat> the guy got it, and as all good stories go, did really well in this practice. We often err on the side of too tight. Not all, there's lots of different personality types, and there's sometimes people go on retreats and say, well... If I'm mindful, I'm mindful. If I'm not, it's all right. I'll just chill here. 
and um, you know, they're uh, they don't you you can't get mindful without the intention to be mindful. But many people really want to do it right. And again, you can apply this both to meditation on retreat and in your daily practice. If you're a kind of uh, either type A person or someone who has very high standards and uh, has any kind of perfection um, tendencies, um, uh, this talk is for you. Um, And I can say from my my own experience, uh, I know those tendencies well. When I first got into practice, I was so inspired and I just, I was going for it. And I, um, I just practiced as diligently as I could mostly because I was inspired and just really uh, it was coming from a place of juice. Uh, But sometimes it was coming from a place of I want to do it right and I don't want to waste my time. Joseph Goldstein used to have this this teaching. Uh, He said, "You're, you're just creating as many NPMs as you can. NPM is noticings per minute. So that became my kind of um, challenge or game to myself. How many moments of mindfulness I could string together? And it's actually a, uh, it's a good kind of an attitude if you can make it like a game, as many of you have heard me say before. If you make practice like a game, a very profound game, but where there's not, you're not failing, you're just kind of seeing how I can work with the mind. Oh, how many moments I can be present for. Um, It can be fun, but sometimes you can um, go overboard and uh, get get very tight. I used to, in my earlier days, I'd be doing the slow walking meditation, you know, just feeling lifting, moving, placing, lifting, moving, placing. And at times when you're, you're in that mode, it's really interesting. Not because you're trying to try hard, but you just kind of get into that lane, that speed, and you see so much. But at times, your energy isn't just there. And if you try to do it that way, you get very tight. And on one retreat, I had been really enjoying myself for for a few weeks. But at some point, I lost my my aliveness and I just, it just became, oh, I've got to go slow and tight and go slow. And I was getting really depressed and heavy. And this went on for a few days. And then I remembered that story about the lute player. And I said, oh, wow, I am really getting wound up here. I am going to play hooky for 
a little while and not go slow and not even try to be mindful. I hadn't been outside for about three weeks, just kind of crawling around the meditation center, and I decided I'm going to be a bad boy, I thought in my mind. And I put on my boots. It was snow everywhere. This is in New England in the, the winter. And I'm just going to go for a walk and not try to be mindful at all. So there. And there I was. I started walking. And I am a mental noter, or at least that's one practice that I, that I did a lot in those days. And there I was, left, right, left, right, hearing, sniffling, left, right, thinking, left, right, left, right, cool, left. I couldn't turn it off. It was the most mindful I had been in the previous week and a half when I just stopped trying so hard. And I remembered a story... um, a famous story, uh, in, uh, after the Buddha died, uh, Ananda, his attendant and his sidekick, uh, there's a story very parallel to this where uh, Ananda, you know, Ananda had been by the Buddha's side for the last uh, 20, uh, 20 years of his life as his, uh, his attendant. And so he, and he had the power of um, perfect memory, supposedly. So he was an incredible treasure because he remembered all the discourses of the Buddha. And after the Buddha died, they had a council of um, 500 monks, as the story goes, 499 of whom were fully enlightened. And Ananda, who was not fully enlightened because he was so busy taking care of the Buddha, he had only reached the first stage of enlightenment. So they said they were kind of chiding him and encouraging him, come on, Ananda, make it a perfect 500. We're We're having our council in a few days Get on with it, you know. So there was Ananda practicing really hard, doing his sitting and walking and sitting and walking. And it was, the, as the story goes, the night before the council, right? And he was just getting really tight. Oh, I'm not, not fully enlightened. They're going to know, you know. And finally, he remembered the Buddha's words, if you're getting too tight, you've got to balance it out, relax. And what he decided to do was just take a break. And as the story goes, as he's laying his head on the bed, where he's not quite standing and not quite lying down, you know that moment where you just surrender and let yourself be uh, be caught by the earth. In that moment, he was enlightened. And as the story goes, all these good stories, he 
had also gained psychic powers, and so he materialized in his seat at the council, and they knew that he had made it. <laughs> so wise effort, it's true that it takes effort to be here in the moment. There's one uh, uh, great teacher, Trungpa Rinpoche, used to say, it's a bit like manual labor, where you're just kind of bringing your mind back each time. You know, wanders, okay, come on back, come on back, you know. And it does, wise effort is one of the, the eightfold links to just land here. And for most people, it takes about three days just to land in the present moment. But once you're here, once you happen to just land here and not struggle to get here, once you're truly here, any kind of efforting is extra. It gets in the way. Any kind of needing to make it a better, more mindful moment, then there's a trying, there's a contraction that gets in the way of just simply, naturally resting in this moment. We've done this little uh, exercise before and just uh, do it again for a moment. Just put your hand out in front of you. And move it slowly back and forth. And as you do it, close your eyes and put all your attention on just enjoying feeling the movement, the vibration. Just enjoy that movement. Any worry right now? Any fear? Any story going on? It's just enjoying feeling the movement. Is this taking a lot of effort? No. Okay, you can open your eyes. Was that hard? It was pretty easy, right? Oh, it's very restful to just connect with what's happening right now. If I was saying, as you are going and feeling the movement, now try really hard to notice the movement, it would get in the way, wouldn't it? All of a sudden, oh, I've got to try hard to notice the movement. That's extra because there's a contraction of mind. So the, the trick is to realize when you're here that any kind of struggle is extra. Any kind of straining or striving to make anything more happen than this moment just takes you out of the moment, gets in the way. Here's from, uh, I'll share from my 
great friend, uh, Anam Tuptin Rinpoche, from his book, The Magic of Awareness. One of the central messages in the Buddhist tradition is that the quintessential nature of mind is already pure and immaculate. It is already enlightened. This is what is known in Buddhism as luminous mind. It is always residing in each of us as the indestructible dimension of who we are. Yet it is not to be mistaken as a sacred object or some kind of grandiose mystical entity. It can be immediately discovered when we stop entertaining concepts about it. The human mind has the propensity to often miss what is subtle and profound. It tends to be attracted to what is coarse. When it contemplates higher realities, it tries to figure them out through beliefs and images. So this notion of luminous mind is very subtle. It can never be realized by theorizing about it or believing in it. On the other hand, we can awaken to it in every instant if we simply allow for it to be recognized. Now, there's different kinds of teachings. Some that say, and, the, and in Theravadan Buddhism, there's a number of teachings that say the Buddha was a warrior. So he, there's some warrior images. He said, uh, conquering the mind is, like, uh, is harder than conquering a thousand warriors a thousand times. That's not a, an image I share very often, you know. It's kind of like, oh my God, I'll never do this. But then he talks about uh, just coming to ease and peace, that when the mind is not disturbed, then the, the natural peace and ease can be experienced. In some, uh, I practice with one Burmese master who talked about heroic effort, as one of the sayings is, practice like your hair is on fire. Okay, that'll get you going. And this guy would say, if your leg is, um, fall, is, is falling off, you just note it, falling, 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 you know. Heroic, turn up your jets. And I know, like I said, how it is to practice that way, but it's also, unless you're interested and, you're, and it, you keep it light, you get wound up a lot. And he unfortunately didn't say, just keep it light. And many people practice, have practiced in that way and, uh, uh, and it's been to a, a great detriment. Then there's another kind of teaching, often from Tibetan uh, practices, that says things like, happiness cannot be found through great effort and willpower, but is already here in relaxation and letting go. Don't strain yourself. There's nothing to do. Let the game happen on its own, springing up and falling back without changing anything, and all will vanish and reappear without end. Wanting to grasp the ungraspable, you exhaust yourself in vain. 
As soon as you relax this grasping, space is here, open and inviting and comfortable. So make use of it. All is yours already. Don't search any further. Don't go into the inextricable jungle looking for the elephant who's quietly at home. Nothing to do, nothing to force, and everything happens by itself. And that's a high teaching in uh, Tibetan practices. And the thing, uh, uh, unfortunately, though, is that they tell you that after you've done 100,000 prostrations and 100,000 mantra recitations and visualizations, then they say, just relax. (laughs) And it's true that there's something about giving that full-on, wholehearted sincerity of effort is beautiful, but it's got to come not from your will. It's got to come from your heart. Effort is not about willpower. It's about just... Loving the truth, loving the moment, loving the the prospect of waking up. It's a heartfelt kind of effort. And all you need to bring is your sincerity, not your struggle and trying hard. This year uh, at IMS, as, as many of you know, I was teaching, uh, leading the six-week retreat, uh, at least the f- part one of the three-month retreat, as a part one and part two. And um, it was wonderful. And there was this one fellow, really beautiful guy from uh, Sweden uh, that I was working with. And uh, he had Similar experience to my mindful walk. He just kept on trying so hard, so hard. And I kept on saying, you don't have to try that hard. Let yourself enjoy being here. You're here for, he was here for, there for three months, as I recall. You're here for three months. Why not just really enjoy being here in the moment? And that was not quite in his vocabulary around practice. And I you know, said some radical instructions. Just do what you feel like doing. Because he was such a type A that it was every moment had to be mindful. I said, as long as you're going to be mindful, just make sure you're doing stuff that you enjoy doing and just be mindful with it. But let yourself enjoy it and see that you don't have to strain, you don't have to struggle. And one point in the retreat, he got it. You know, it's so exciting when somebody, it's, you can hear it. Yeah, I hear it. I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. And then at one point, he just fell into the groove. And he said, I wasn't trying, and I was really here. That's it. Keep that up. And it was such a pleasure to see and work with him for the rest of our time. And every time he'd come in, he'd have this big smile on his face like he was cheating. And he would say, 
I'm having fun. I'm having a good time. I'm so much more here than I was a week ago. It's amazing. It was you know, that that's one of the best parts about being in and witnessing somebody when they get it for themselves and then you don't have to convince them of anything. They just embody it. Now, that, again, that doesn't mean being lazy. It just means the key is being interested. You know, I've talked about that here before, about, you know, being like a little baby and, and looking oh, at, at, this, at your booger and saying, wow, look at that, you know. Because we have that natural interest, that natural curiosity that just loves to learn, that just wants to know. And if you can have that be the lead instead of this project of getting an A as a meditator, then you're in on the adventure. Then it just becomes an adventure instead of a struggle. This is uh, from a great Tibetan uh, master, Nyosho Kempo. He says, Rest in natural great peace, this exhausted mind, beaten helplessly by karma and neurotic thoughts like the relentless fury of the pounding waves in the infinite ocean of samsara, rest in natural great peace. That's a a great Dzogchen teaching. Dzogchen is, is this attitude of practicing resting. Rest in natural great peace, this exhausted mind, beaten helplessly by karma and neurotic thoughts, like the relentless fury of the pounding waves in the infinite ocean of samsara, rest in natural great peace. Hmm. When I give the instructions, I often um, have it boiled down to were distilled down to um, bringing a kind, interested, relaxed awareness to this moment. That, for me, those are the three qualities. Kindness with whatever you see in your mind or wherever it goes or whatever is going on in here in this mind and body that we can get so frustrated by a quality of friendliness and kindness which brings some kind of spaciousness. Interest. Yes. Let's take a look. This is a moment of my life. Let's be here for it. And relaxed awareness. And so anytime you feel yourself tight to consciously remind yourself to relax. And that's Really, the only criterion that you, you, if you just looked at that, is the mind tight? Is the body tight? If it is, 
just invite it to relax. Don't try hard to relax, because when you try hard to relax, you won't be relaxed. Just stop making all of that extra effort. As a a little example or a little um, exploration with this kind of an attitude, just close your eyes for a moment. And now, as you sit here, let go of any straining or striving or struggling to make anything happen at all. And simply let yourself, to whatever extent available, relax deeply. You might take a few deeper breaths and on the exhale, just let go. And then instead of trying to make something happen, just let yourself feel life move through this form called you. Just let yourself be interested in the rhythm and the vibration and the aliveness. Just be here for the show. It's life moving through this form. Nothing to change, nothing to make happen. Just enjoy that feeling of aliveness. And any time the mind says, oh, but what what am I supposed to be doing? Or how do I do this? How do I keep it up? And just come back again and stop trying completely. And just rest with presence. And when there is a tightness, Take a breath or two and just release again on the exhale. Don't worry if your mind spaces out. Just come back again and know that you're alive. Was that hard? I hope not. It might not have been easy to stay there, but the idea of just not trying and simply be being interested, that's really it.
So now, just applying this to your life, which is a little bit more complicated than just sitting here for a few moments on a cushion or a chair, just reflect, where do you tend to struggle in your life? This is kind of taking the principle from the cushion to off the cushion, and maybe... Um, yeah, once again, go inside for a few moments and just notice where you tend to struggle or try really hard, maybe a bit too hard in your work, in your relationships, in your tasks that you set out for yourself, in your exercise. And if you don't struggle, that's wonderful. But if you find yourself in some different arenas getting a bit over-efforting, Just imagine what it would be like to relax some of that extra unnecessary effort and not try quite so hard. Care and do do what you can in a skillful way, but just notice when it becomes extra. It's like learning to ride a bike. You can't try really hard to balance. You have to be relaxed enough so you can make the adjustments. You have to be loose enough so that you can just be with the flow. And just envision what it might be like to bring more of that flow to wherever it is that you find yourself a little bit tighter than you need. And just envision that, like a good athlete envisioning flow, ease, relaxing the grip, Just even envisioning it, you might plant the seed that you're going to just play around with that. Whether it's in meditation or in your daily activity. And uh, what would help you remember? Maybe give yourself a little practice reminder right now. What would help you remember to have that more skillful attitude of just the right amount of tightening the string, not too tight, not too loose. And for me, as I 
said at the outset, the words, struggling is extra, helps me remember. I just offer that to you. Struggling, straining, striving. All just get in the way. Put your whole heart into things, but do it from a sense of connection and interest. So I'll stop here and just uh, open it up. Any any comments or questions or anything uh, that you want to share with the group? Anything that might have come up from from that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, what you say your name to? Uh, I'm Arianne. Um, so one thing that I noticed both during those exercises we just did, but also I've just noticed this a lot in general, is that there's a certain, um, sometimes there's a tension between what my mind letting go and my body letting go. Like it seems like my natural recourse for my body to let go is to just sort of like, sort of slump like this, Hmm. which is, you know, not really what you're, you know, when they talk about meditation, they say that you're not really, you're supposed to, you know, sit up like this. And I, my body wants to just like do this. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, you know, if you have any advice on how to resolve that issue. Yeah, that. it's a good question. Um, the balance is between um, upright alertness and wakefulness. It, it helps to be awake um, and having a sense of dignity. Um, you know, I, I love Thich Nhat Hanh's suggestion of thinking of yourself like a mountain that's strong and here for all the changes in the weather and worthy of respect. And at the same time, a sense of ease and receptivity so there all the places of tension or holding can soften. So when I start the meditation period, my own period, and uh, often when I'm giving instructions, first I'll say, let your spine be straight and upright and sit with dignity, sit with a, a quiet dignity and feel a connection to the earth so that there is that sense of uh, uprightness and respect. And then go through a body scan and allow any places of where the muscles are holding to soften and just invite that, that ease and receptivity. So there's a balance between wakefulness and openness and receptivity. Um, and that the posture can then be um, 
uh, a doorway to the mind and the heart, having that same quality of respect and um, warm-heartedness and and receptivity. So it sounds like you're saying that confidence can actually play a role in the in the sort of letting go. Yeah, confidence. um, But um, for me, actually. The other side of confidence is humility, where it's not like, yes, I've got this all together. There's a kind of humility and innocence, but it's a kind of confidence and trust in the Dharma and in your, your own sincerity and goodness. Then, and when you feel that sense of self-respect, here life has expressed itself in this form that's never been here before, that is definitely worthy of respect, then you can open up to that confidence and trust in life. Not, can I do it? But, ah, this is life expressing itself through, through this form. Thank you. Yeah. Way in the back. And say your name. My name is Erica. Hi, Erica. And um, I've noticed, I've been thinking about this this week. There's times when I'm very present, um, but not necessarily mindful of it. Mm. Um, And it seems to me that the moments when we can be present and mindful of, of that present moment are usually when we have the luxury of being in a relaxed state. Um, And what I mean by being present, what comes to mind is like in an emergency or if you you have an injury. Like the other day I was walking down the hallway at work and I just bumped my funny bone for a moment and I felt very in my body, very present. I was mindful at that moment, but like if you... Um, if you were to break a bone or something, you would be very present in that moment um, because that's all you can think about. You're not like, how does my, you know, do I look okay? Or like, <laughs> what, am, what am I going to eat for dinner now? Mm-hmm. You're like in, in the moment of survival mode. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm wondering, I don't think there's anything to be said good or bad about being in the present moment without being aware that you're in the present moment. Um, Like I don't have a judgment on if it's better to be mindful of that present moment, but I wonder what you have to say about that. And, and I, I did like what you said about the, um, uh, was it meditate like your hair is on fire? (laughs) Cause that makes me think of those moments when you're, kind of in like, you can't think about anything else about mm-hmm. what's happening. So that can be very supportive or helpful when when things, when the jets are turned up. Is that what you're saying? So um, first, as far as being present and being mindful, you can be aware, but mindfulness has an additional quality or attitude. When you're mindful, you're not just aware, 
you know, a um, say a, a a robber can be aware, or somebody can be a, attacking uh, with awareness, but mindfulness also has an attitude of not grasping at the pleasant, not having aversion to the unpleasant, and not taking ownership of your experience, that is not identifying with your experience. So say you bump your, your hip or whatever it is, there's the, the ouch, but the mindfulness of the ouch says, oh, and this is a, a moment of pain. And there's a, a spaciousness around the mind where it's not contracted. That's why the moment that you're mindful, even of unpleasant experience, there's still an ease and a spaciousness around the mind. If there's aversion, it's not actual mindfulness. But the good thing is, as soon as you see there's aversion, you can be mindful of the aversion. Oh, and here's a moment of aversion where you you stop that contraction. So just noticing the difference between awareness of what's happening and having an attitude where the mind is open and spacious. And spacious. Okay. Anything else? Yes, over here. Maybe last question. Hi. Um, hi. I've, I've been meditating a lot over. Oh, I, oh hi. <laughs> um, I've been meditating a lot over the last few years, and um, I can really see a lot of progress in my practice. And uh, I, I've kind of gotten to this place where I'm st- starting to lose interest in a lot of other things in my life. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm, not, I'm not sure what to do about it. Like. Part of me is like, oh, that's a good thing. And then part of me is like, oh, maybe that's not such a good thing. Um, and I know there's some uh, term in Buddhism for it where you like lose interest in sense pleasures. I forget the exact term. Um, but um, yeah, for me, it wouldn't just, if I was on my own, it, it wouldn't be such an issue. But like, you know, my girlfriend wants to go out out and things like that. <laughs> like, I hanging my friends You're not that. fun anymore? Yeah, I feel, I feel like I'm not, a, not so much fun anymore. You know, <laughs> you know just uh, being mindful doesn't mean you can't have fun. <clears throat> Take my Awakening Joy course. <laughs> uh, but what you're saying, there is something... There's something true that as you become more and more um, aware of where happiness lies or where peace is, that certain things do fall away that were not as that aren't as serving or compelling. You know, maybe your habits of behavior that of you know, numbing out or, or, or partying or something sometimes diminish. Not always, but sometimes do. But it doesn't, 
don't confuse, and sometimes this can happen, this is why I ended up writing about and teaching about joy, sometimes people can confuse, oh, a good Buddhist is very equanimous. Um, and um, I'm gonna, after this is over, I'm going to be uh, going with my, uh, my buddy who's sitting in the back there. We're going to be watching the warriors against the, the Timberwolves tonight. And, uh, you know, my wife can hear us upstairs, from, from upstairs. Um, and I love to sing, and I love to dance, and I love to have fun. It's just, you, you have to, there's no right or wrong. You have to see, is this really nourishing me? And sometimes you might just do something with your partner just to, for, the, for the joy of seeing her happy. Uh, and, and, uh, and so there's not a right or wrong, but don't equate being a good Buddhist with, with not having fun. Just see what's true for you, where your true joy and aliveness comes in. Because m- mindfulness, hopefully, that's what I try to teach in the joy course, joy is about feeling alive. And when I say joy, I don't mean just skipping through fields of daisies. There, it can be contentment. It can be deep peace. It can be a sense of wholeness. And there's all kinds of flavors of that. But true well-being, which comes from the practice, is about really connecting and being fully awake in, in the moment. So you, you just have to be honest with yourself and, and notice what makes you come alive, like that Howard Thurman quote. Don't ask what the world needs, ask what makes you come alive because the world needs people who come alive. Find out what makes you come alive and really be there for it and, and delight in it. And, and then your joy will affect everyone around you. It just might look different than it did five years ago. That's okay. Okay, we should uh, close with a loving kindness. Oops. And you can, in your own mind or heart, just bring, bring into your consciousness anyone who you'd like to include in your metta. And include yourself. Just appreciate coming here on a Thursday night and practicing with all of us. May I feel all the goodness inside and share it well with the world. May I let go of any unnecessary struggle and find true peace. And may I share my practice with everyone around. And may our coming here together ripple out and be of benefit to all beings everywhere. May all find the highest happiness and peace.
Thank you very much. <clears throat> have a good week. Have a have a good month. I hope you do. Please come here, even when I'm not here. I, that will make me really happy. And I think uh, there's going to be some really um, inspiring uh, presentations while I'm gone. And see you uh, when I get back. <clears throat>